0: a story I've shared with you about how in the early 70s, my dad was there on the aircraft carrier Midway, which was a very large aircraft carrier that was headed over to the Gulf of Tonkin to uh, conduct uh, uh, operations there in Vietnam. And my dad was on the Midway doing his tour, and my mom was there in Alameda, California, living near the base. And one morning, one Sunday morning, she got up, And she decided that she would go to church. Here is a a young woman raised in a very liberal Presbyterian church. And she decides that day she's going to go to the Southern Baptist church that meets on the base. And I think a lot about that decision. Her decision one day where she probably was just laying in bed and she thought, you know, somebody invited me to go to church with them. I think I'll just get up and go to church. I saw a poster for a church that was meeting on the base. I think I'm just going to get up, put my clothes on and go. And she did that, and I think about how that has affected the trajectory of my life. That I might not even be here if it weren't for that one decision she made that morning that set her on a path to become a good Southern Baptist church lady. And to have a son that she would get up, even on days when I didn't want to go to church. Even on the days when I wanted to lay there in bed. Even on the days where I was giving her a bunch of excuses, and giving her a bad attitude. And what did she do? She went into the kitchen, and she filled up a pitcher of water, and she threw it on me. (laughs) That's really, she didn't have to, I think she did that a couple of times. But I've told you that story that we'd gone to see Herschel Walker speak. Some of y'all remember this story. We had gone to see Herschel Walker speak when we were very young. And Herschel Walker stood up there, we were at the first United Methodist Church in Bedford and Herschel Walker was standing there and he, he said, now listen, anytime your mama tells you to get up and go to church, you need to get up and go to church. So for the next, I mean, I'm sure if I was at home and it was time to go to church, she would say, you know, even today she'd say, y'all remember what Herschel Walker said, right? It's time to go to church. And we would say, okay, Herschel said go to church. We better, better go to church. And I don't know about the people of Israel. I wonder if they ever looked back and reflected in the way that I just did about those moments in their life. You know, maybe mom going to church in California taking us to go see Herschel because we thought we could get an autograph, how those kind of things shape us and change us. I wonder if the people of Israel looked back when they were being conquered, when they were being dispersed all over the world by the Assyrian Empire, that bloodthirsty, ruthless people. I wonder if they looked back and wondered, what went wrong here? We had it all. We had the covenant. We had the promise. We had the very oracles of God. And what did we do? We disobeyed. What went wrong? What led us on that path to ignore the Word of God and to do whatever we wanted to and to worship these Baals who did not give us what we wanted or what we thought they would give us? Did the people of Judah, when they were being carted off for a generation into Babylonian captivity, did they consider the decisions that were made long before that led them to that end. But you know, if they had looked at Hosea chapter 5, they would have seen where the decisions had been made that sent those ripple effects. Those ripple effects that wound up leading to the destruction of their nation. You've done that before, haven't you? When you've been out at a lake. If you're, if you're a man, you've done this. I don't know what it is about being a boy. But when you're around a large body of water, you just want to pick up a rock and throw it in there and see what happens. Even though you pretty much know what's going to happen. So you get the biggest rock you can or maybe it's a small rock and you throw it in the water and what happens it lands at a little spot and then it affects the water as it just moves out and those ripples get larger and larger maybe small decisions that were made and people didn't even notice that they were happening seemingly they didn't think like the, it didn't seem like it was that big of a deal no one was thinking well this is going to set the trajectory of our nation Maybe there are moments in your life like that you're not thinking, well, this decision is going to set the trajectory of my whole family. But you come to those points. You come to those points. And I think when we look here at Hosea chapter 5, when we see this, we are, uh, when we read this, we can see where the people of God began to trust in other things to make them whole. And those things ultimately led to terrible consequences. So let's take a look at this. Let's see these decision points, these turning points, and then let's kind of maybe think about our own lives in that way as we conclude. So what's happening? Punishment is coming. That's what Hosea chapter 5 is about. Punishment is coming in Israel and in Judah. And why is this happening? Well, we looked last week. It's because the elite people in the nation led the people to worship false gods. Pretty simple, isn't it? The people that had power, the people that had influence, said, let's worship Baal instead of let's worship Yahweh. Chapter 5, verse 1, hear this, O priests, pay attention, O house of Israel, give ear, O house of the king. That's three ways to say you better listen. Hear, pay attention, give ear, for the judgment is for you. And here he's speaking to the priests. He's speaking to the king. He's speaking to those in power. He says, you've been a snare at Mitzpah. You've been a net spread on Tabor. And the revolters have gone deep into slaughter. And that word slaughter there probably is actually referring to another city called Shatim. And so he's saying, in these places, you have led the people to worship false gods. And I'm going to discipline all of you. The rulers have trapped the people into false worship. They've been making sacrifices to pagan gods. God's going to discipline them. And this is the heart cry of Hosea. He says, the charge of adultery, I'm laying at your feet. And what kind of God do we have? How does God describe Himself in the Bible? He says, the Lord your God is a blank God. What is that word? Isn't that interesting? (laughs) He describes Himself. He says He's a jealous God. Do you know God is jealous for you? Just like a husband is jealous for his wife, does a husband want to share his wife with any other man? No. Did Ozea want to share his wife with any other man? No. God is not willing to share you with anybody else. So when God says he's a jealous God, and you think, well, that sounds kind of weird, I think it's kind of wonderful that the God of the universe loves you so much he's not willing to share you with anything else that might captivate your heart. But the people that god loves have turned to baal they have put their trust in this god baal what did, what was baal baal's a god of thunder when when baal thundered what happened what happens when it thunders it rains and when it rains the crops grow when it rains the animals have something to eat when the animals have something to eat they make more animals when we all have a bunch of food and we have a bunch of water we can have flourishing societies and so because they wanted that, they wanted to grow, and they wanted to be enriched, they said, well, you know, we've got Yahweh over here, but he doesn't always get us what, what we want. But these, these priests of Baal tell us that if we'll go into this temple and we'll have sex with these prostitutes, we will have our crops grow. And there were terrible consequences for that. And always remember in your life, when we go off and we let something else captivate our heart, Because it makes a better promise in our own mind. And the reality, of course, is that God's promises can't be improved upon. But we believe lies. We are easily deceived. We are easily led astray. And there are always terrible consequences when we forsake the one true God and put our trust in counterfeit gods. When we trust in clouds with no water, in wells that are dry. And so we see that when they have forsaken God, if we look at verse 3, we'll see that God makes them insensitive and ignorant. When you decide to stop listening to the Lord, and there's a reason when you come to church, we're like, listen to the Sunday school lesson, listen to the preacher, listen to what the words of the music are saying, go home and read your Bible throughout the week. What we're saying is, listen to what God says. Because the songs, we're not just singing this, don't, I don't pick the songs out so you can feel good for 30 minutes. Okay, I, I picked the songs out because there's certain words I think are good for us to all have in our mouth at the same time. Because whenever we're all saying the same thing, hopefully that leads to us all to be thinking the same thing about the Lord. And so these songs, we can learn from them. And we're just trying to say, think about what God is saying because when you stop listening, look at what happens. Verse 3, I know Ephraim, and Israel is not hidden from me. For now, O Ephraim... You have played the whore. Israel is defiled. Look at verse 4. Their deeds do not permit them to return to their God. For the spirit of whoredom is within them and they know not the Lord. It's interesting he doesn't say I don't permit them. But their deeds don't permit them to return to their God. They have this spirit. Okay, your spirit is your, your personality. It's the thing that, that uh, makes you you, you know. And it's saying that their personality, the thing that drives them, is this spirit that chases after other gods. And he likens that to adultery, of course, as he does through the whole book. These people know facts about God. I mean, these were the ones that had the, 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 the law and the prophets and the writings. But they don't know God. Why don't they know God? Because of their deeds. Their false worship has hardened them. It's desensitized them. It's seduced them so much that they, they, they have become such a, so deluded in their thinking that that delusion based upon the way that they've been behaving does not permit them to return to God. That's God, that's how hardened their hearts are. So can you examine the things that you love? Examine the things that are occupying your time Examine the things that are that are consuming your money, consuming your thoughts, consuming your emotions. Consider all of these things. And 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 you you ask yourself the question are the things that I love, are they the types of things that harden my heart toward God? Am I so into this that I've become desensitized to the Holy Spirit's leading in my life? So if there is a turning point moment during one of my days, am I even going to notice it? If God is trying to speak to me, am I even going to hear Him? Or am I so distracted by so many other things that I can't even listen? That's why we don't play with sin, right? That's what the sin has done to them. is It's made their ears clogged up. It's hardened them. And they're, they're not permitted because of their own behavior to go to God. Their, their selves won't let themselves go to God. And then they start to stumble. Look at verse 5. The pride of Israel testifies to his face. That's a weird phrase, isn't it? If I, if I said to you, your own stupidity shows up right before your own eyes. That's kind of what, the, what it's saying there is that you're, You can just look at your own actions and they're self-incriminating. You can just look at the way you behave and see that it leads to ruin. The pride of Israel... his. His ego in deciding he knows what's best and I'm going to leave God's words behind and do whatever I want, that causes them to stumble. Israel and Ephraim, Ephraim is another name for Israel, it was the largest northern tribe, shall stumble in guilt and Judah shall stumble with him. So now we've got the southern kingdom brought in here. All of God's people are stumbling. Why? Because they're prideful. They're prideful. They've turned to false gods. Their hearts are hardened to God. They don't know Him. They're stumbling because of their choices. And so they decide in verses 6 and 7 that they'll turn to religion. So look here when they turn to religion. With their flocks and herds, they shall go to seek the Lord, but they shall not find Him. He has withdrawn from them. They have dealt faithlessly with the Lord, for they have born alien children, and now the new moon shall devour them with their fields. In other words, they've gone to God with their sacrifices, but they haven't come to God with sacrifices because they love God. How do I know that? Because they don't even know God. They're not coming because they have this relationship with the Lord and they want to spend time with them and make things right with them. They've come, uh, they've come to sacrifice because they want to be enriched. They came for themselves, and what they don't realize is all they're doing is just religion. God is gone. They're just going through motions. And in verse 7, when these people desert God, He deserts them. And what happens to their children? It says their children become alien. They're they're alien born. Their children don't know God either. Their children are like foreigners to God. That's a terrifying thought, isn't it? To think about your children not knowing the Lord. But you'll say, okay, how does that happen? You know, And I see this, and, and, I, and I, I've seen this really you know, here and other churches where I've been, is that you've got people that were raised up a certain way. And I don't know who it was. Maybe their mother and their father took them to church. Their grandparents maybe took them to church. But someone was teaching them about the Lord. Somebody was taking them to a place where they were hearing the Bible, and they were learning it, and a foundation was being laid. And they know all this truth. They have all this truth in, 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 their, in their heart. And they, they know things about God. They, they perhaps have even put their faith and trust in Him. And yet when it comes to their time to have these people that are depending upon them to train them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, they just kind of chase after other things. They get distracted. You know, it's not, it's not necessarily that they're saying, I don't want my kids to know anything about God. That's not, what they're, that's not in their mind, is it? Because probably in their hearts and minds, they love God. And they, and they are thinking about all the things that, that uh, they were brought up believing and they still believe them because a good foundation was laid, but they didn't build anything on it. And then where they should have had a monument here to the Lord in their life, they've built a monument to something else. And answer me this. If they have built their life basically in service to something else besides God, what do you think their children are going to serve? The God that they learned about when they were children or the God that they're worshiping now? Kids learn from their parents one way or the other. And what they're learning is, these kids are learning, hey, Baal is Lord. If you live like Baal is Lord, your kids are going to think Baal is Lord. If you live like the Lord is Lord, your kids are going to learn that the Lord is Lord. And so now their children are, are stumbling. And, and he says, basically, at the new moon, he's saying, at this appointed time, uh, their fields will, they will be devoured with their fields. They're trusting in Baal to give them a good crop. And he says, when that time comes for that harvest, the fields are going to be devoured. There's going to be nothing there. They're not going to get what they're seeking from Baal. And so then you have, in verses 8 through 12, a shift after they've sought um, false gods, after they've sought false worship of the true God, none of this is panning out, the fields are devoured, and then they turn to another human solution, which is a political, uh, political alliances and injustice. They, they actually turn to war, and Israel and Judah, the northern and southern kingdom of God's people, begin to fight against one another. Blow the horn in Gibeah, the trumpet shall, shall sound in Ramah, sound the alarm at, alarm at Beth-Avon, We follow you, O Benjamin. We're going to fight. Ephraim shall become a desolation in the day of punishment among the tribes of Israel. And I will make known what is sure. So war breaks out between Judah and Israel. They've come on different sides of different political alliances. And whenever Israel's being beaten, it says in verse 10 that the princes of Judah come and they move the landmarks. They steal land. All God's people here are doing what they don't need to be doing. You've got the northern kingdom warring and fighting and not trusting in the Lord. You have the southern kingdom. When they see an advantage, they take the old boundary stones and they move them. And he says, I'm going to pour out my wrath like water over these people because they're, they're, they're behaving so badly. They're, they're not trusting in me. They're trusting in all these other things. Now they've turned to politics and alliances and injustice, and they will be crushed in judgment, he says. In verse 11, why? Because, why will Ephraim be crushed? Because he was determined to go after filth. Is it possible that we could stop and examine ourselves and say, Lord, show me the places where I'm really just going after garbage when I could go after something glorious. They're trying to solve problems in a worldly way. Do you ever do that? I feel like I do that. Is my first thought God's way or my first thought the world's way? Fighting, war making, moving the boundary stones determined by the Lord. They're all guilty in this fight. And then God does something gracious. You'll notice this graciousness of God. He starts to slowly destroy them. What's the benefit of being destroyed slowly? Is that you might realize if you're being destroyed slowly, whoa. I'm being destroyed. (laughs) I need to stop. I need to fix this. They're sort of being killed slowly here. Look what he says in verse 12. I'm like a moth to Ephraim, Israel. I'm like dry rot to the house of Judah. Several years ago, we went to the Dillard's Clearance Center and I bought these awesome, remember those awesome cashmere sweaters I had? And they were like, 75% Seventy-five percent off, seventy-five percent off, with another fifty percent off, and I, I, that's the only way I could afford to buy a sweater that cost three hundred dollars is if I could get it for seven. And I was calling my friends. I was like, well, I'm getting, I'm getting these uh, cashmere sweaters for a deal. What size are you? I'm going to get you some sweaters because they were sure nice, and I never really had any anything that was that soft. It was amazing. And so I had this cashmere, I love the cashmere sweater. I had a red one, and it felt so good. You could put it on, and it was thin, but it was also warm. And I don't know, I think about that sweater a lot. <laughs> and then one day I went into my closet, and I pulled it out, and it did a little little bitty holes in it where the moth had got in there. And of course, the moth ruins the sweater with just a tiny hole, but it didn't eat much. I guess it doesn't take much to fill up a moth. But the Lord says here in verse 12 that he's like a, he's like a moth. He's, he's destroying Ephraim, but he's just doing a little bitty bitty bite at a time. And he says he's like dry rot to Judah. Y'all seen dry rot. Maybe you go up and you're looking at a house or you're looking at the porch and you can see a spot where maybe a beam of wood in the house has started to rot. And how long does it take a piece of wood to rot? Pretty long time. I mean, that thing will will stay there for a long time, just rotting over time. He says, I'm like moth-destroying sweater. I'm like a rotting board to them. I'm destroying them slowly. And I believe that's because the Lord was, was afflicting them in a way to get their attention that was a patient way. He was wounding them in some way to get their attention that they would turn their eyes to Him. And so I think it's like if I pulled the the sweater out of the closet and I saw the holes and I said, hey, something's wrong. I I didn't need my whole closet to be burned down. I could just pull the, oh, something's wrong. We've got a problem. Or the whole house doesn't have to fall over if I could go say, oh, we've got some rot here in this this wood. We need to repair this or we need to uh, treat it or whatever you would do. So God's destroying them to, to make a point so that they might say to each other, hey, something's broken. We're not seeking God. We need to remember who we are and seek Him and turn and repent. That was God's goodness to His people. But they didn't listen. It says, when Ephraim, look at verse 13. When Ephraim saw his sickness and when Judah his wound, so now we've moved from moth on the sweater, dry rod in the house. Now we're talking about oozing with pus sores. Okay, we see the wound and it's oozing with pus. I know that's disgusting, but that's what the Bible says. (laughs) So when he sees his wound, when he sees his sickness, when he sees the moth and the rot, where do they turn in verse 13? They turned to Assyria. When Ephraim saw his sickness and Judah his wound, then Ephraim went to Assyria and sent to the great king of Assyria. We're not exactly sure which one that is, but uh, they give him a nickname here. They call him Jabbok, and that means, they, it, literally what it means is they sent to the great king Pick a Quarrel. He was Pick a He was a king that was always ready to fight. He was always ready to come and make an alliance and have a war. They turned to a war maker. They turned to a war maker instead of turning to their god. They turned to the great Pick a Quarrel Come fix our problem with your might. But what does the Lord say to them in verse 13? But He is not able to cure you. And He is not able to heal your wound. You go to King Pick a Quarrel. You go to King War Maker. But now I will come and I will be a lion to you, Ephraim. I will be a young lion to the house of Judah and I will tear and go away. I will carry off and no one shall rescue you. And then I'll go return to my place until they acknowledge their guilt and seek my face, and in their distress, they earnestly seek me. When do you decide whether to turn to God or turn to Assyria? When do you decide to turn to the conquering king or to an earthly king? When do you decide this? When is the decision made To honor the Lord or to dishonor the Lord every day, every hour, every minute, every moment. These are all turning points, aren't they? There's little turning points every day where we turn to the cure or we turn to the poison every day for a believer and for a non believer. And we can testify to this as Christians that if you will come and give your life to Christ today, you'll know forgiveness, you can know eternal life, you can have these promises that we talked about in Sunday school. But when you give your life to Christ, there's always a temptation to just follow your natural feelings and inclinations. It's always that temptation because the old nature is right along there with the new nature. But what we have that's a blessing to us is we have the Holy Spirit that illuminates the Word of God so that not only can we see what we are able to do, we can see what we should do, and we can understand why it's best. So for Christians, the question is, do you turn to Christ for help for your problems and troubles? Do you seek the Lord when you're dealing with trouble and circumstances, or Even though we're redeemed and we're saved and we know God's Word and we have it, do we say to someone who can't cure our wounds, will you try to heal me? I think we often do that. And if you're a non-Christian here, maybe you've spent your whole life, maybe right now, you would say, I've turned everywhere. I've tried to find the answer for life. I've tried to find the meaning for life. I don't understand the days that... I." I don't understand what's happening to me every day. I don't know what's going on in my life. Well, yeah, that's because the Bible would say that you're lost. And that's what you're like these, these, uh, these, these people in Israel and Judah, that they had just not listened to the Lord, and so they were just out there stumbling around. Because if you don't have the truth, and you don't know what's going on, yeah, you're going to stumble around too. It's hard to make sense of this life because there's so many voices. Which one are you going to believe? There is a man who came to earth 2,000 years ago named Jesus, and he said he was the way. He said he was the truth. you don't want to stumble, get on his path. If you want to know what truth is, come and follow Jesus Christ. Maybe today is a turning point, and maybe today is not a small one for you. Maybe today is one of those life-altering, ancestor-altering moments where you would say, I need to finally submit to Jesus Christ and give him my life. Whatever he says, I'm going to do it. Didn't you love that about Abraham. As we studied in Sunday school this morning, God says, go do this and I'll do all this. And then in the next verse, it says, Abraham went and did all God told him to do. But what I'm telling you that the word that Jesus says that we need to believe in him. Whoever believes in me will not perish, but have eternal life. What's Jesus calling you to do? Believe in him. That's something you can obey. That's not not something you feel. That's something you can do right now. Trust him. Trust Him. You trust a lot of things. Trust Jesus. In our state of sinfulness, we are separated from God. But here's God's kindness to us. He's coming to us right now like a moth. He's coming like dry rot. He's, he's slow. He's patient. But one day the patience runs out and the lion comes. Are you ready for that day? There are places to turn. You can turn to all sorts of things. But will you turn to the one who can heal? Will you be healed? Or will you turn to the one who will destroy you, looking for a cure? Or will you turn to the one that can save your soul?